to shot reverse shot uh, i'm matt risby hello and joining me as always is ed davis how the devil are you sir yeah very very well uh just preparing for uh hollywood's biggest night yes we are uh pr- talking about award season we are in the midst of it with the oscars uh, about to come up we've had the baftas we've had the golden globes we're having all the individual like screen actors guilds and directors guilds awards uh it's kind of a, a kind of a silly season uh for hollywood uh, generally, but also kind of is, is is kind of food for thought because these things are, have got weight, real weight um, uh, awards, and they they're given kind of a lot of credence. But ultimately, if you boil it down, um, I'd make the argument, and I'm prepared to right now, that giving awards for art is pointless. Uh, what do you think, Ed? Uh, I, I do. Yeah, I do agree. I think I used to think that it was. I mean, I do think they have value in terms of. Uh, it's they clearly mean a lot to the industries that hand them out. In the if you win an Oscar, it usually helps you get a project made, mm-hmm. um, and it can have a, a demonstrable effect on a film's box office for it to uh, be nominated for best picture or or to win. You know, you often see there's a huge bump when nominations come out, and then an even bigger bump once a film's actually won something. Mm-hmm. So I think there are uh, definitely. You can definitely see examples of people whose careers are given a kind of a kickstart by an Oscar nomination. Um, I think you can certainly see that in the case of someone like Ryan Gosling, who prior to being nominated for Half Nelson was mainly known for being that guy from The Notebook. Mm-hmm. And then had he not been, nom- then after he was nominated, he, you know, he became a, uh, he became a, a kind of go-to guy for a lot of independent filmmakers or, you know, someone whose career has been flagging kind of gets a kick in the arm from it, where Mickey Rourke being an obvious example, albeit an example of someone who kind of uh, <laughs> squandered it a fair bit, mm. but at the very least, you know, is probably uh, doing a little bit better than he was uh, five or six years ago. Mm. But he's, so, he's getting work, that's the difference, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and I think he was probably getting work before, but I think he's probably was, uh, he was probably being paid probably about a tenth of what he's earning now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does have an effect, but for me, the the thing that's weird and interesting about the Oscars in particular is that every year, the I, I kind of get into, and I think this is a case for a lot of people, certainly on Twitter and social media, who say, you know, I don't care about the Oscars, it doesn't really matter. And I think a lot of people, that is true. But there's also a subsection of those people who don't care, and then as soon as the nominations are announced they are indignant and i would say i am one of those people because i was like fully prepared to not care about the oscars and then like selma doesn't get nominated for bunch of stuff and i was livid mm. um so it's just weird like that i mean in this episode it's like my main question is like why do we care about the oscars or why do i care about the oscars um i, I also um take a hypocritical stance uh when it comes to oscars um, and it's not because I get kind of um, uh, upset about, you know, egregious Oscar snubs. Um, I've actually moved past that. Where I'm a hypocrite about the Oscars is I will call them meaningless and say, well, ultimately, uh, art is, is subjective. Uh, you know, you can't really say one thing is better than another when it's empirically 
can't be proven. Um, but I will goddamn use Oscar wins to win an argument. <laughs> if someone <laughs> says, "Oh, that film's not particularly good," I say, "Well, the screenplay you won an Oscar, like you know," <laughs> and like that's I've just completely contradicted myself, and that's um, you know that's probably the the area in which I'm kind of a hypocrite about it. But I think I think the the Oscars are a lot of fun. Uh, the Oscars particularly, I think, you know, we can probably put all those other awards into kind of just like general awards noise. The Oscars are the ones that, uh, you know, people really care about um, as much as I'm sure that people like their Golden Globes and their their their, their BAFTAs. It's, you know, they trade them all in in a heartbeat for an Oscar. Um, I think that, like, they've got an enormous sense of fun about them, despite the snubs and despite the, the disagreements that people will have. Um, and I think that people kind of get caught up in that. And I think that's why people care about them. Do you think? Yeah, I definitely feel that the ceremony is one of the more fun, even though it obviously runs too long mm-hmm. and it doesn't have the kind of uh, the boozy charm of the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. um, which really has only, I think you can see the Golden Globes ceremony has improved as they've, re- as they've realized how relevant they are. Yeah. Because they realize they just need to hire a comedian to make some like jokes for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they don't even make good use of them because they're pricks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the Oscars definitely has a sense of fun about it, and you know, depending on the host, you know, sometimes they pick people who are very good. Some part times they pick Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Um, David Letterman. Who, yeah, Letterman. Well, I think Letterman gets a bad rap. He's obviously not great, but I think yeah, he was someone who uh, probably uh, wasn't as prepared for how big of a job it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to like when John Stewart did it the first time. John Stewart's first time, he was good, but you kind of got the sense that he was uh, not quite uh, ready for it. And then the second time, he was kind of uh, wonderfully professional. Yeah. Um, or Chris Rock, you know. Sometimes they pick exactly the right person, and then they're really angry when they do that. Because Chris Rock was great, but then everyone got really annoyed at him, like, taking the mick out of Jude Law. Yeah, yeah Sean Penn particularly didn't like that one bit. Sean Penn can't take a joke. It's... It's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things for me that upsets me about the Oscars is, is the way that it is, uh, you know, the the how the Academy is comprised. I mean, like there is, it's very weird and murky that kind of uh, how things are voted for. We've talked about this before on on the podcast when we talked about Hoop Dreams being kind of uh, excluded from voting because you know the the voters in a in a big screening of of, of people who, who matter in these these things kind of voted to turn the film off after 15 minutes which is kind of crazy um and you know the, the fact that the, the academy is made up mostly of kind of like older white men you're getting especially this year it's been a very kind of contentious issue like you say with selma being uh kind of overlooked um it's been a very contentious issue the the kind of uh, the demographic that tends to make up the majority of the academy, which, you know, ultimately you are only seeing in in kind of Oscar nominations and Oscar wins, um, the views of 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 like a certain demographic. Yeah, and that's something that you know, like I, when I think of the Oscars, certainly when I think of like historical Oscars, I think that you know, even when they get it wrong, they may be provide an interesting snapshot of what cinema was like that year. If you look at something like 1967, as uh, Mark Harris did in Pictures at a Revolution, mm-hmm. where he looks at all the films nominated for Best Picture in 1967, and he says, you can see that on the one hand, you have stuff like 
Doctor Doolittle, <laughs> which is like big Hollywood musical kind of representative of a uh, old style of filmmaking that was definitely on the wane. Uh, but then you also have, you know, Bonnie and Clyde at the forefront of the new Hollywood um, and the kind of the burgeoning early days of what you and I like to call the 70s. Um, you know, so that, and so you can look at it and you think there's lots of stuff going on there, but uh, sometimes, I think a lot of the years you look at them and you think it, does, it doesn't really give a snapshot of what an interesting year it was in cinema. It just looks a bit like bland. Mm. Um, and I think that has decreased somewhat in recent years since they started having more uh more nominate nominees mm-hmm. because that means they can nominate something a little bit weird like that year they nominated precious um the same year that, anyone the same saw year, happening yeah the same year they did they nominated district nine which yeah. still i can't quite believe was a nominee for best picture mm. yeah so th- obviously that means that you can have a few more uh, interesting choices, or this year you've got Whiplash, which is a film that would never have a chance with five nominations because <laughs> um, it's very small and it's very uh, kind of intense and not even remotely kind of Oscar baity. Other than you know, I think I think J.K. Simmons probably would all have always have been nominated, but Whiplash probably in, as a whole wouldn't have been paid that much attention. Mm. Um, but you know, it, it's still the actual you know, race itself, even though you can have these kind of interesting outliers that maybe get a bit of a bump, the thing itself actually boils down to like the five or six contention can uh census choices of like the most obvious films that that, that could win. Mm. So it just even when there are more interesting films in the mix, they get ignored in favour of, you know, more dull ones. And that's that's kind of uh the case when you hear that dreaded phrase, the Academy likes that kind of film and like you, we can talk all, all day about kind of uh, Oscar baiting uh, a film that mm. you know might uh, involve someone playing uh, someone uh, from real life uh, perhaps someone with some kind of disability or mm. you know touching on a kind of broad uh, uh, kind of awards worthy uh, topic such as the Holocaust or uh, I don't know AIDS or something. This is terrible. It sounds awful. But Kate Winslet said it in their, their episode of Extras um, about, you know, what you have to do to win an Oscar. And it's kind of laughable, but it is kind of true. Yeah, that definitely is the thing I always think of in terms of describing the, the almost the perfect um, Oscar winning role or prospectively Oscar winning role. Uh, I think you can definitely see that in this year's... Um, nominees where you have you know eddie eddie redmayne in the most oscar baity of films mm-hmm. uh the, the theory of everything which you know you and i have talked off mic about this how we we don't really care for it <laughs> it's not a very good film um despite having some kind of some decent performances in it it's a film that by its very nature is not very dramatic mm. um yeah, it's it, it, it's, it's it's that whole horrible Oscar thing, isn't it? Where it's not a good film; it is just a uh, passable showcase for a performance. Mm. And because it's based on a real person, it is uh, seen as important. And you know, obviously, the story of Stephen Hawking and his work is very important. But you wouldn't know why on the theory of everything, which doesn't really seem interested in it. It just seems to be interested in showcasing. Eddie Redmayne's physical transformation over the course of the film. Mm, which is pretty amazing. But, mm. um, you know, for me, the more interesting uh, 
uh, element of that story, if you're going to pick that story, is you know his relationship with his wife and how uh, he ended up leaving her. She started a relationship with her friend, and he started going out with the nurse and married his nurse. But like that all just seems to happen in like a ten minute sequence, and with no kind of like uh, no kind of friction at all. No kind of well, you know, if you think about the very description of uh, drama, it's you know overcoming an obstacle, like overcoming a conflict to kind of a new resolution and that doesn't just it just happens mm. yeah it does it is definitely a film in which stuff happens mm. and then it finishes <laughs> um, i think you know it's it's an extra problem uh and this is a weird thing that seems to have happened in uh the last couple of the last couple of years when they have a uh a film that covers decades of a person's life and then they make no effort to age up the characters mm. Um, in the case of uh, The Sphere of Everything, Felicity Jones looks 25 <laughs> for the entirety of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she looks exactly the same from beginning to end. And it's just like, it's, it's just really uh, emblematic of how hard it is to tell an entire person's life story over the, uh, over like an hour or, or two hours, which is why, you know, that BBC TV movie about Hawking with, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch from 10 years ago is actually a better film than The Fear of Everything because it says the really interesting part of his life is his diagnosis and his immediate response to it as opposed to the decades of infidelity and recrimination and uh, everything that kind of comes along later. Mm. Um, Do you think that, like, the dreaded Oscar snub or the awards snub um, is a better indicator of what films are like uh, rather than seeing what was nominated, and I'm kind of going to use this uh, uh, the example that's kind of fairly obvious in 1989, I think, uh, or maybe 90. The ceremony, um, the best film was ultimately um, Driving Miss Daisy, which is a film that we all remember as having not seen, um, and has just completely faded from everyone's memory. Um, that was the year that. Uh, do the right thing um it was a kind of a hugely successful indie film uh directed you know kind of very pointedly with a kind of political um uh kind of punch behind it uh wasn't even nominated and that to me is is the kind of that that says everything about what was going on in film in 1989 mm, and especially uh, again at the same time you're starting to see the emergence of like Sundance as a real force on the uh, on the film world with Sex Lies and Videotape, which I think was nominated for a screenplay Oscar. If it was nominated for anything, I think it might have been, yeah. But you know that was a film that uh, I don't think anyone at the time appreciated for its quality or you know for what it would. Obviously, no one could understand what a seismic impact it would have at the time. But it's still one of those things where you look at it and you think that the Oscars was not at all representing what was happening in uh, the world of film at that time it was just focusing on kind of the most surface level stuff yeah and it, it's 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 weird when uh, the academy recognizes something that it kind of does go against the grain of you know of their normal kind of choice like when it picks something like no country for old men um it doesn't seem like an obvious academy choice um it always kind of this seems to jar or that same year when it was went up against uh, there will be blood mm. yeah. which is uh again two two films that 
you would kind of be amazed to see them nominated any year, but to see them nominated in the same year, it kind of feels like almost like the Oscars were kind of making their uh, like once a decade claim for legitimacy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To kind of talk about how legitimate or illegitimate the Oscars are, um, I've compiled a little list, Ed. You'll like this. Um, this is a list of people who have never won an Oscar, right? And this is a horrifying list. And this kind of kind of maybe says a lot, right? I'm going to start with some directors. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Right, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Robert Altman. Yeah. David Lynch. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, well, he did win one for um, like special effects or something. It's no, like the I don't count. Least Kubrickian Oscar to win for. Yeah, uh, Terence Malick. Yep. Sidney Lumet. And, uh, that is a terrible shame, considering how much great work he did. Right, I'm going to run through the next few now because you won't believe any of these didn't win Oscars. How- okay. Howard Hawks, Akira Kurosawa, Fritz Lang, Federico Fellini, John Luke Goddard, John Cassavetes. Michael Powell and Sam Peckinpah. They are crazy, particularly in the case of like Fellini, who I think was nominated like twelve times or something. Yeah, I mean, like, they were they won like best foreign film, but that's not an award for the director. No, that that's for the country. Mm, yeah. So Italy, has, each Italian uh, citizen has more uh, Oscars than. Fellini does personally. Mm. Okay, here's some actors who have never won an Oscar. Cary Grant, Robert mm. Redford, Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, Richard Harris, Glenn Close, Donald Sutherland, and Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, again, all fantastic actors who did great work. And yeah, they've, I think is you kind of get the sense that uh, in the case of someone like Robert Redford, it's or even going close, it's going to end up being like a legacy Oscar. Mm, yeah. Like a few years ago when it was suggested that she might be a serious contender for Albert Nobbs. Yeah. Fucking terrible, terrible film. Yeah. And this is this is my last thing. Marilyn Monroe, Mia Farrow, Martin Sheen, never even got a nomination. Mia Farrow is surprising. Mm, very like, surprising. She's got some real heavy hitters in her back catalogue. And like Woody Allen actresses, like most of them won Oscars. Mm. So for her to not have managed one, considering how many great performances she gave in his work, is, like, insane. Mm. So I've just listed, you know, a great big thing of people who haven't been recognised by the Academy, apart from there's a, few, there's a handful of those people who have been given honorary Oscars, uh, you know, the kind of lifetime. And Peter O'Toole famously, like, uh, uh, refused his and said, I'm going to win one outright, and then... Uh, he, did he get nominated for Venus or didn't get nominated for Venus? He did get nominated for Venus. Didn't win did. and then accepted it <laughs> the next year. So, you know, the rascal. Um, but that's crazy. Like, these people are like, they're not just like people we think are good. These are kind of like, you know, titans of cinema. Yeah, you kind of wonder if in some cases it was like, you know, we talked few weeks ago when we talked about Lord of the Rings, how the final Lord of the Rings films was like the one where they gave all the Oscars to as a, recommend, a recognition of uh, all their great work. Mm. But in some cases with actors, they like don't recognise them for a great role because it feels like it's someone else's turn. And then there's just a sense of, oh, they'll keep doing great work and they'll, they'll get nominated and then like, the actor falls on hard times or dies or, you know, they just, they just never, they decide not to make roles that take roles that the academy cares about mm. 
that's qu- quite famously happened in I think is ninety four when Samuel L. Jackson, an actor who'd been kind of knocking around for a while, um, you know, turned in an amazing performance in Pulp Fiction, kind of steals that film, um, and the award that year for best supporting actor. Do you remember who it went to? Ninety four. Uh, no, it was uh, Martin Landau, Fred Wood. Um, an actor who had been around for a long time, been nominated for a few things, um, and never won, and perhaps would never be up there again, and was picked. I mean, I don't want to say that that's why he won the role. I mean, they're both great performances and great films, but that was generally seen as what happened. Yeah, do you think they feel bitter, the Academy, that he's still alive? <laughs> yeah. They were just kind of You thinking... told us you were done. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, the, but that does happen, though, doesn't it? Like, you know, the the kind of the old veteran will, will kind of will, you know, be looked upon favourably that that could be their swan song, as it were, rather than you know the young upstart. Yeah, and um, occasionally though, every once in a while they'll do like, uh, you know, when Marion Cotillard won for Livion Rose, mm. where everyone just it just kind of took everyone by surprise. Um, and like that's you know it's a very very good performance, and she was really good in that film. But it does really seem like one of those times where you kind of think it's just so weird that the Academy would just go against pretty much all of their uh, uh, precedent by mm. choosing an interesting role by an actress no one knew. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Lord of the Rings a minute ago and us talking about it being recognised for um, you know all the work it had done up to, to the, the last film. Um, it reminds me of a particularly kind of egregious award of... Uh, I've used the word egregious twice in this podcast, so it's not like me. Um, it it uh, reminds me of when in 2001, um, we've talked, we talked a lot about how, um, you know, Peter Jackson and, and Philippa Boynes and Fran Walsh, who, who wrote the screenplay for the Lord of the Rings films, you know, did this absolutely incredible job of taking a book that was deemed unadaptable. Um, a, a, you know, a, uh, uh, a book that for years people had tried to think of some way of adapting it into a film and never managed. And then, um, these three did it and into a hugely successful kind of critically acclaimed thing and it lost the best adapted screenplay Oscar that year too. Do you know which one it lost it to? Mm, I was going to say A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, correct. A Beautiful Mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yes. written by Akiva Goldsman who wrote Batman and Robin firstly <laughs> uh, and a film that was um, you know, we talked a lot last week about historical inaccuracies um, a film that was full of them in the, in the sense that, like the his, the the inaccuracies to the the life of the guy in a beautiful mind whose name I've forgotten, um, uh, and kind of undermine the storytelling. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a very very good example of them. There's a, there was an uh, of uh, something that Mark Harris wrote again. Mark Harris wrote an article for Grantland about what he de- termed the X and Y choices in um, Oscar campaigns and like the. I believe, like, the X choice is, like, the edgy, interest, or at least the interesting choice, and then uh, the Academy pretty much always go for the Y, which mm. is the kind of the really staged and traditional one, until the kind of backlash builds up so much over years and years that they eventually choose an X, like, you know, No Country for Old Men would be a good example of that. Mm. Um, or, or even something like Science of the Lambs, where it's a kind of film and a kind of genre that has never really be re- been represented by... The Academy and, you know, a bunch of people who have never really received their due from the Academy. And then suddenly uh, it, it kind of gets recognised pretty much because 
everyone's sick of those films being unrepresentative, uh, unrepresented. And then, you know, uh, they go straight back to just choosing the Y films. Mm. But like the, the, the Lord of the Rings Beautiful Mind um, uh, year just kind of spells out how um, campaigning and everything is uh, can kind of completely, like kind of almost whitewash uh, and kind of cause a landslide for things. So like you often get a film that wins a lot of Oscars and it will just win them, like it'll win best editing, even though its editing's not particularly good. But because it won all the other awards, it wins that. The idea that that just on paper, uh, no pun intended, the, the the writers of a beautiful mind did a better job of adapting the book about the guy from a beautiful mind than than the guys did of adapting Lord of the Rings. That's just absurd. That's not even like in, in, you know taking opinion out of it and subjectivity out of it. That is kind of crazy. Do you think that um, certainly in like the case of you and I, people who know about how the Oscars work to an extent, obviously don't know everything because that would require a huge amount of knowledge, but you know, who know a little bit about how the sausage is made and these sort of things, you know, that there are weird arcane rules that uh, mean that there will be blood score is ineligible or that, you know, whiplash is counted as an adapted screenplay, even though it's not, Mm-hmm. Um, it was an original screenplay and they just shot part of it to get the film made and then they said oh you shot a short so therefore it's an, ad- an adapted screenplay or counting Steve Carell as the lead in Foxcatcher even though he is supporting at best mm-hmm. you know and the, all these sort of like these weird rules and the choices made by the studios do you think that that sort of thing and, and also just the knowledge of um, I mean we touched on this last week but you know the, the, the fact that Selma is being kind of beaten over the head for perceived historical inaccuracies, which really are kind of minor and more due to interpretation. Whereas, you know, the imitation game is like littered with stuff that's made up mm-hmm. and stuff that definitely didn't happen, but no one's uh, batting an eyelid about it because, uh, you know, the imitation game is made by Harvey Weinstein and, you know, he's the guy who throws his weight around for that sort of thing and he has a lot to throw around. Uh, that's Ooh. a needless fat joke. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, or you, the, this week there's been a real, seems to be a real push against boyhood um, mm-hmm. where, where they're just basically saying, you know, shot over 12 years. Michael and my clap dad did, Ted did that with the Up series. And it's just like, well, it's not really the same thing. And it's really weird for you to pick that out the week before or the, the uh, sort of two weeks or so before voting happens. Um, it's very, very fortunate timing so you know i think stuff like that definitely seems to kind of color the opinion of the oscars in general where you can clearly see the mechanics of how this stuff is uh is is being worked out mm. it is really not nice to see behind the curtain is it really and i think that thing about hoop dreams we talked about earlier that we talked about in the kind of the, the owner 100 episode really does kind of leave a really sour taste but it can be down to i mean i think you said it when the nominations came out that like you know, there is a chance that Selma is underrepresented because just people haven't watched their screeners, mm. which is insane. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that was said about Selma was that the company, I believe, is Paramount, didn't get the screeners out before the other kind of awards bodies because they were focusing so much on the Oscars. But the problem there is that uh, clearly a lot of the momentum that films build up over 
award season is based on what they win early on because then I think that causes the academy to focus because I don't think that every academy member is watching every eligible film. Mm. I think they're really kind of drawn to what's already won. So if Selma's only been nominated for like a handful of other award ceremonies, then it's not going to get as the perhaps the due the the attention that it's due. Mm, absolutely, I think um, um, kind of talking about uh, Oscar, the, what you know, what comprises the Academy. Uh, we talk about it being kind of a mostly white, mostly male kind of demographic. Um, the weird thing is, is that like if you get nominated for an Oscar, you are instantly in the Academy. Or you're invited to join the academy, which means you get a vote in these things. Now, what I find disturbing, and I don't know whether the rules have changed, but like you vote on everything, and the vast majority of people in the academy are actors. So mm-hmm. the actors will vote on like best editing. Is that right? Uh, I believe it's changed now, so it's more specified. I think everyone votes for best picture. Okay. But then, like the acting performances are generally. By the act, uh, voted for by the actors, but I think maybe like multi hyphenates get to vote for kind of multiple things. Mm. Like I imagine Clint Eastwood is voting for both actor and director and uh, you know composer probably. Mm. Um, which is kind of it seems a fairer way to do it, but I think that probably accounted for some of those weird wins in the past where you know someone's like, well, I like that film, I'll vote for the best sound editing, even though I don't really understand what I'm voting for. Yeah, I think that uh, you can really see that just kind of the group think comes over everything as well, where I think if a film is generally perceived to be very, very good, then it gets voted for across the board, even though maybe something else has more interesting choices. Like, I can't imagine that Whiplash will win best editing, cut to, you know, next week when it does. But you know, um, you know, I don't imagine that Whiplash will win Best Editing because it's a film that doesn't have much momentum in anything other than Best Supporting Actor. Even though I think of the films nominated, it is the best, not best, uh, the best edited by far. Whereas I think it probably would go for either Boyhood or um, Birdman, whichever one ends up winning Best Director. Well, because those well, two always seem to get paired up. Well, Birdman didn't even get nominated for Best Editing. I'll, oh. I'll tell you that now, which seems absurd, given how uh, remarkably well edited it is. Unless they were genuinely taken in by the single-shot conceit. Yeah. Like, there was no editing. <laughs> yeah, they, they only did, like, 12 cuts, man. Like, you know, um, which seems kind of crazy. But it's like, we said office that, for that guy. You're right, yeah. Um, we're saying that the, um, uh, the Academy is mostly... Um, actors this does that explain perhaps why films where you know that feature big actorly performances uh tend to uh do what better at the oscars yeah probably i think that they definitely can throw their weight behind a particular performance more than uh you know anything else and also i think acting is not to denigrate acting which is obviously something that is very difficult to be great at but it's the easiest thing to recognize in a film. That's why you tend to see, like, if a film gets nominated for Best Actor and, like, nothing else, it'll probably see a bigger bump than a film that gets nominated for Best Picture and nothing else. Because for laymans, if they uh, see a film's been nominated for an acting performance, they think, oh, I'll be able to recognize that it's a good performance because I know what good acting looks like. Mm. And so it's kind of the easiest thing to reward compared to, you know, directing or editing which are kind of more subjective 
Yeah, I'm going to go back to the best uh, film editing. I've just brought up the uh, the nominees for this year's Oscars. Um, Birdman, a film which kind of has a, uh, an ingenious editing conceit, like you say, um, isn't nominated, but uh, The Imitation Game is. Yeah, that's one of the ones where you can really see the film obviously has uh, the, the uh, might of the Weinsteins behind it, so they're just pushing it for everything. Um, which is the only real explanation for it getting a Best Picture nomination because the film, like, is decently put together, but it's not like Best Picture worthy. Mm. It's just a very kind of efficiently put together um, drama, and there's nothing particularly great about the directing or the editing or anything. But because they're really pushing it for best picture. It just, everything else just kind of gets swept along with it. Mm. Yeah, it's a best picture, right? It must be well edited. Mm. That's the idea. Um, the Oscars are a lot of fun. Um, and one of kind of my favourite things about the Oscars is I'm a huge Oscar trivia fan. Um, do you want to hear some Oscar, Oscar trivia, Ed, that I know of? And uh, see, if, see, if, see if you can guess like the answers. Um can you name the only person to have won an acting Oscar for playing someone of the opposite sex? Oh, is it? Uh, I don't know her name. Is it the the woman from the uh, Year of Living Dangerously? Correct. Linda Hunt played a guy in uh, in uh, the Year of Living Dangerously and uh, won an Oscar for it. Um, I always like that fact. That's a good one. Um, can you name the only Oscar winner who won their Oscar playing someone who loses an Oscar? Oh. Uh, no. Um, Maggie Smith in California Suite plays an actress who misses out on Best Actress. She won, that? Yeah. She won Best Actress for it. I like that one. Um, can you name the only two people to direct themselves to an Oscar? Mm, no. Lawrence, no Lawrence Olivier won okay. for Hamlet. And the next person, this will make you hate Oscars again, uh, Roberto Benigni for Life oh. is Beautiful. <laughs> God, do you, remember, do you remember that year? But he ran on the stair. He ran on the chairs. He did. What did that? And everyone beat, loved him. What did that beat out that year? Was it like L.A. Confidential? Was that that yeah. year? Oh, yeah, L.A. L.A. Confidential was that year. So it got beaten out for acting from that, and also everything else by Titanic. Oh, right. Okay. What a horrifying year. Um. Yeah. Terrible. Um. Sean Connery won. Uh, um an Oscar for The Untouchables and in The Untouchables he plays an Irish cop um, but has a Scottish accent do you think he should be disqualified and he should be made to hand the Oscar back uh, yes but only if they can then give him one for say uh, The Hill or something good he did with uh, Sidney Lumet yeah yeah because um, he'd had good performances in him yeah but that really wasn't one of them Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, we always like every, the, the Oscars are kind of synonymous with weird nominations, and I think the one that everyone talks about, if you're kind of uh, alive now, is everyone kind of can't thinks it's hilarious that the film Norbit got an Oscar nomination for like best makeup. And there's, I've looked, I've done a bit of research, and like history is littered with these weird like films that are terrible that got nominations. Like last year, or like, was it last year or two years ago that Jackass got uh, Bad Grandpa got a nomination for best mm-hmm. makeup? Um, but another another film I found out got an Oscar nomination, Junior. Oh, the, is it for screenplay? No, best song. Um, song. I think so. Yeah. Um, best best screenplay. Although I did find out that Beverly Hills Cop got a screenplay nomination, 
which um, as much as I love Beverly Hills Cop is generous on the screenplay because a lot of that is driven by you know Eddie Murphy's kind of charisma and uh, personality um, yeah, and also is one of those like uh, with MASH where it was nominated and won for best screenplay even though everyone said yeah we basically threw out all the script and made everything all the dialogue up yeah because it ring Lardner Jr. who won the screenplay uh, Oscar and he was just like uh, yeah I don't really think that is yeah, that's that's a great Oscar to win isn't it when you didn't have to lift a fucking finger yeah I think I always think that that's interesting mainly because I'm not 100% clear on his method but you know Mike Lee is someone who relies heavily on uh, improvisation and like that's what he consistently gets nominated for his best screenplay mm. But at least he writes his own scripts or starts starts mm. his own scripts, you know. Um, but anyway, talking about crazy nominees, there is one that I can't believe actually won an Oscar. Do you want to hear the, the most outrageous film that I've I found that won an Oscar? It is yeah, Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons won Best Makeup and Costume. Wow. That's insane. Was that for John Lithgow's outfit? Because I really believed him as a dad. <laughs> if only, if only. Um, yeah. Do you know? Do you know who's my favourite uh, nominee, Oscar nominee that you don't realise is an Oscar nominee? Uh, go on. Peter Capaldi. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. he won for a short film he wrote called Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life. Um, same with um, in short films, uh, Sean Astin from The Goonies mm. and Lord of the Rings uh, directed a short film that was nominated for Oscar, which was shot. Like in one of the towns, like in Wellington or something in New Zealand, with a bunch of the people who worked on the Lord of the Rings. Oh no, this was this was years before. Was oh, it a different Rings. one? Yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, that film we made on Lord of the Rings. So it's terrible. It's on one of the DVDs. Yeah. It's really boring. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he made a short made a short film, got nominated for it. Um, uh, which because I don't know, like, have you ever read his his autobiography that he did, like, kind of after Lord of the Rings? Um, I didn't. Um. <clears throat> But a friend of mine did, and they said that like there's this like whole chapter where he's just like going on about how he can't believe he didn't get nominated for uh, for the last Lord of the Rings film. Well, I think considering only Ian McKellen got nominated, and he got nominated once. Yeah, you know the acting wasn't what people were watching those films for. No, absolutely not. Um, do you think that things like the debate about uh, as we move into the the kind of you know well into the 21st century now, this debate about kind of mocaps. Uh, acting performances should be eligible. Uh, do you think that there's any weight in that? Uh, I think there is weight in it, and I think that it's a thing that should be considered because I do think that something like you know Andy Serkis's performance as Caesar is a very very good performance. Maybe not one of the five best of the year, but I could definitely see someone doing a great performance using motion capture that then uh, is worthy of being considered one of the best of a given year. But you know, with the sort of the demographic of the academy, I think it's we're looking at maybe a wait of like ten or twenty years. Mm. Cut to next year when all of the nominees are motion capture. Um, but you know, it's just like it does seem like something that's going to take a very, very long time and a very a lot of new blood in the academy for that shift to occur. Um, the one Oscar that I think should exist that doesn't, though, is a similar way is that stunts. Mm. I think that that's something that is cruelly underrepresented in uh in the academy is like the effort and the uh life endangering and you know the technical aspects of oscars which is something that is never really paid attention to but is you know as much a technical part of how a film is made as uh 
you know, costume and makeup and stuff. I just kind of wonder if it isn't uh, represented because you'd have to give it to the sort of things that the Oscars tend to ignore. Mm. But then the special effects Oscars always go to like Transformers and fucking Pearl Harbor won an Oscar for something like sound editing mm. or something. Those films always they, they dominate the technical Oscars, um, which is uh, you know what they kind of be seem to be ghettoized into. But my issue with the stunts is Ed for the same reason that mocap performances might be considered in the future more and more stunts are now CGI. Mm. And I think, you know, we could be in a position in 20, 30 years um, where, you know, a stunt, stunt man isn't a job. I just wanted John Wicks to get nominated for an Oscar. That's all I wanted. Yeah. But then it would, it would, would uh, it just be basically kind of like those insane kind of Hong Kong films winning every year. Uh, kind of these kind of ridiculously elaborate kind of fight pieces because those are the the films where that's their best stuff is happening. Although the imitation mm. in the game will probably be like nominated for the <laughs> bit where he like falls over a bucket or something. I've not seen the, think... imi- the imitation game, but I'm pretty sure there's a bit where he falls over a bucket. There's a famous moment. It's mm. Like that's when he comes up with his theory. Yeah. Um, no, I think they would be. I, th- I think it'd be great to include stunts if it then became part of the ceremonies in the same way that best song used to be. Mm-hmm. Like they had to recreate one of the great stunts from the film on the stage of the Kodak Theatre. Yeah, and they'll do that thing where they bring someone who wasn't in the film to do it. Mm. So yeah, like, like Stiller. yeah, this 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 year it'll be like uh, the bit where Stephen Hawking trips over and, and cracks his head, recreated by John Goodman. <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd, I'd watch that. Um, yeah, um, like we keep saying that like, as much as the the kind of uh, awards buzz and Oscars stuff kind of makes us kind of a little bit kind of hot under the collar um it is fun and to show we're no stick in the muds uh and uh you know we have a kind of a sense of humor about this we're going to predict the winners of the oscars now um so we won't do them all because you know you know people have got lives said you know um but we will pick the big categories um who do you think is going to win best picture ed uh i would like it to be boyhood I wouldn't mind too much if it ends up being Birdman. I mean, like, Boyhood is my favourite of them. Uh, actually, no, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel was my favourite of the nominees, but it's the one that I think is, like, least likely to do it, <laughs> just because uh, I think they, they probably feel like they've given and Wes Anderson enough uh, recognition by nominating him. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I, I think Boyhood will. Yeah, I think uh, Grand Budapest Hotel will, actually. Oh, um, I'm just saying that because you picked Boyhood first. Um, who's going to get Best Director? I I think it will probably go to uh, Gonzalez, Alejandro Gonzalez in a retweet because I think they seem to like splitting them up now. Mm-hmm. I think if they're not going to give Birdman Best Picture, they might give him Best Director because it seems like of those films, it's definitely like the most directed. Yeah, <laughs> and it is the one that depends on you know a strong directorial hand to kind of guide it through. I'll give it to Inarito as well because they like um, splitting it off and giving it to a Mexican like they did Gravity the other day, the other year. Um, I think that's probably accurate. Best actor. I really want it to be Michael Keaton. I don't want it to be Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, I don't. I'm not particularly enamoured by really any of those performances. I mean, I like Michael Keaton in Birdman, but he's he's kind of my least favourite thing about that film. Yeah, I think I think it's for that one. It's more of a legacy sort of thing where really I want it to be for. Uh, Mr. Mom. Mm, yeah, it's it's his it's 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 the show he's kind of uh, work on Jack Frost, um, a film for which he wrote uh, two songs for the soundtrack. 
uh, the, the montage of his work would be great if it was stuff from <laughs> the really terrible, like Multiplicity. Oh, yeah. Well, he, to be fair, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch hasn't been in a film where he plays all the characters. Enough, give it enough time. Mm. He played two in the Hobbit films. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I've forgotten about that second character. Um, anyway, best actress. I'd like uh, Marion Cotillard to get it because I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, she is the best of them in there, but it's going to be Julianne Moore for, for every film she's been in. <laughs> rather yeah. than Still Alice. Um, Julianne Moore um, uh, won for Still Alice tonight at the BAFTAs, uh, mm. recording this on the BAFTAs happened. That film's not even out in England yet. Yeah, that was that was the one that really struck me as weird because I, I knew that some of them were, you know, they, they would have been released, not released at the time the nominations were announced, but maybe would be released by the time the awards happened. Mm. But I think this is the first one I can think of in quite some time where the film just isn't out at all. It's mm. just a weird, uh, they just clearly want to get in on the still Alice train. Yeah, absolutely. That no one knows he's even coming into the station yet. Um, <laughs> best supporting actor seems to be nailed on for JK Simmons, but I really like Edward Norton in Burman. Hmm. Yeah. I think he's, uh, he's, he's probably the highlight of that film. He's incredibly funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think JK Simmons is, is kind of a no brainer. Yeah, um, best supporting actress. Uh, I'd really like Patricia Arquette to win it. I think she will. Mm. Yeah, she she would be my choice. I did really like Laura Dern in Wild, though. Yeah, okay. But she's she's got she's got no chance. But I like the fact that she's represented in it. Yeah, um, we are like I say, we're not going to do them all. So we're just going to do one more. And I'd like you to pick who's going to win best sound mixing. I'll have to scroll all the way down. They they bury that one down, even though it's so important. Mm. You've got a choice of American Sniper, Birdman, Interstellar, Unbroken, or Whiplash. I would actually really like it to be Whiplash. I think Whiplash is a film that uh, has great sound. And I thought that the mix was impeccable. Mm. Unlike Interstellar, where you couldn't hear what was being said, but apparently that was on purpose. Yeah, I think if you just claim it's on purpose, everyone's like, oh, it did its job. It deserves an Oscar. Well, yeah, let's nominate that, fuck. Let's do that. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah, so that's the awards in in in, uh, in in essence. We've kind of uh, brought it down to be a very enjoyable, but ultimately quite meaningless experience. <laughs> um, although we'd like to say if we won an Oscar for like, like or like we won the kind of like podcasting equivalent, we'd be all over that shit when we had. Yeah, we would go to all the luncheons for all the free fizzy, fizzy pop. I don't think they have wine at the uh, the podcast awards yet. No, is there a podcast awards? There are actually. Yeah, there are, there's currently going. So if people want to nominate us, feel free. Yeah, we need a Weinstein. Um, okay, so that was uh, awards. Uh, like we say, a lot of fun, but uh, ultimately meaningless. Um, kind of a bit of fluff around this time of year, and you know. Uh, People, no one remembers who wins Oscars, clearly. So, you know, it'll all be over in a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, that, that's it from us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, I think we do, uh, the artist profile next week is Clint Eastwood. Uh, so that'll be a cool one to listen to. Uh, until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs>